Welcome to the Surveillance Port 166 Q&A. This is where our patrons on Patreon for $5 a month or more get to ask us questions and we will do our best to answer them. We have questions about buying gift cards from third-party sources. We have a question about paying for stuff online privately, a question about our opinions of privacy and security mobile apps that require you to join certain networks, and then questions about personal preferences on browsers, classical music, yeah, let's dive in. Our first question comes from The Dressing Gown. Would you consider buying gift cards from a third-party source? They're specifically thinking of a discount website. Maybe a, an employer would provide that as an employee benefit. You would buy these gift cards on credit or debit and then use said gift cards online or in-store. Is that more private than just using your card or PayPal directly? Would it be any different buying a gift card from a supermarket with a card payment? I don't expect this method to be quite as private as cash or buying a voucher with cash but I don't know if the transaction information can be almost as easily identified. I'm going to get a little bit tinfoil hatty here. To be honest, I don't have any like hard links for this, but this is a combination of what I've heard and what I would suspect. So in theory, I would assume that the manufacturer of, maybe not the manufacturer of the card, somebody somewhere, I would assume, does have the ability to link that card with that debit card payment and therefore track whatever purchases you make with that card. Is that happening? I don't know. That sounds kind of complicated. Certainly not beyond the reach of modern technology, but I don't know if it's scalable and in use. In the first part of your question, you said, would that be any more private than just using your card directly? I would argue yes, because uh, at very least it would be more secure because then the website you're using is not directly getting your card number or your PayPal information. I'll be honest. I mean, I probably wouldn't do this just because I'm lazy and I should probably be less lazy, but I think if it's something you're interested in taking advantage of, I don't see any reason not to. I think it would be more private. And like you said, it's not as good as buying in cash, but I mean, if you can buy the gift cards on a discount, you're saving money technically, and it's still technically more private. Yeah, on my end, I just like to think about there's perfect privacy and there's a spectrum in the middle of that, and then there's no privacy, and there is almost never none or perfect privacy. And this is a perfect example of, well, even if, uh, let's say you buy it from giftcards.com, I don't know if that's a real site, don't recommend, I don't, I don't know what that is, it's just a random site. Giftcards.com sells you gift cards. Now endorsed by Henry. Yeah, not endorsed by Henry. But let's say you can buy like a grocery store gift card from there. Then you go to the grocery store, use that card, and then you go to a different grocery store, but it's the same brand. So the types of correlation that you could see there is obviously they can tell that the owner of this specific gift card between two stores purchased these things. And I don't think that's unrealistic, but also like what's the harm in that? It's not tied to a person, an identity. And if you bought a different gift card from giftcards.com with a different identifier, those can't be directly tied together unless they were employing different technologies to start tracking you. And those technologies would be able to track you probably independent of your payment method, things like facial recognition and surveillance and stuff like that. Now, the one issue is that obviously uh, giftcards.com can see your gift cards. So there would have to be some kind of discussion, communication, data sharing between giftcards.com and the grocery store to be able to actually consistently track you over time, which is something that's very unlikely and probably not going to happen on a mass scale. So for most people, it's still a massive improvement. So I don't think it's actually too different from the situation of if you just go to a grocery store and purchase a restaurant gift card and then go to the restaurant, it's just now the grocery store has the power of seeing that you purchase that. So you're just kind of offloading personal data to different people, hoping they don't correlate it, essentially. So I think it's good. Do it if you can. It's a little bit inconvenient, but sure, why not? 
Next question is from Mr. Camel 999. Do either of you enjoy classical music? If so, who's your favorite composer or favorite composition? I'll start by definitely. I've been playing classical music since I was in like fourth grade. I still play violin. And I recently been picking up piano the last month or two. Favorite composer to play is definitely great. Vivaldi. I don't know why it's so fun to play Vivaldi. It's just fun music to play, and I'm a big fan of it. I really like Bach, and I also just, I don't know, I I really like Paganini too, just from like a technical perspective. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's not super musical, but it's meant to just like explore the limits of the violin, and I think Pag- Paganini is really awesome from that perspective. Vivaldi, you are so basic. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's a basic answer, <laughs> but it's just so fun to play. Like, it's not even, I, I never listen to Vivaldi. I just like to play it. But then I can say Paganini's more of my, like, complicated side of me, I guess. I'm trying to remember. I feel like I've had bands like that, not not with classical, but like modern bands that I'm like, they're just fun to play. <laughs> right. Anyways. I'm not super into classical. Like I, I definitely, I was classically trained in college, so I definitely picked up an appreciation for classical music. I'm a little disappointed because one of my teachers would play Rachmaninoff and he would like bang on the piano and he put so much energy into it. And I was like, this guy's metal. And then I went and looked up recordings and they're all like very soft and proper. And I'm just like, you guys suck. I want his version. So I like Rachmaninoff, but I've never found anybody that actually performs it the way that I like. I don't really have a favorite composer. I guess I'd have to say either, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. What is it? Debussy? Cloud Debussy? The guy who did Claire de Lune. You guys have definitely heard it if you've been alive for more than 10 minutes. I like him and, uh, oh man, there was someone else that I was thinking of, but I can't remember now. I don't know, like a favorite composition? Probably Claire de Lune. Like it's just really pretty and just, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's probably a basic answer if I'm being honest, but... I don't know. Uh, it's, it's classical. Isn't really something I seek out to be completely honest, but it's something I do enjoy when I run into it. I will say I got to see Beethoven's ninth at a live performance one time. And it was amazing. That'd be a fun one to watch live. Oh dude. It was wonderful. It was definitely like a star memory from my college years. It was fantastic. I believe it to, to this day. Clockwork Orange is one of my favorite movies, and the soundtrack is a big part of it, which is almost entirely Beethoven's Ninth. I gotta be honest, I'm not huge on Kubrick. Yeah, that's fun. I liked Clockwork Orange, though. I have a coworker who's also really big into movies, and we got on the topic of movies this week. We were talking about um, Tarantino, because I mentioned there's a, a movie, I think it was Django Unchained, that I still haven't seen, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, go home right now and watch it. And like, he's, he's like, it's Tarantino, and I'm like, that's not a pro and he's like name a bad movie tarantino has ever made and i thought about it for a minute and i was like okay he's never made a bad movie but to be honest i was like i think pulp fiction's a little overrated and he's like okay that's an opinion i have yet to watch it i've uh, only seen the kill bills those are the only tarantino movies i've watched it's worth a watch i just think it's a little bit overrated yeah i want to watch i want to actually watch all his movies i think they're good enough where i'd want to watch them i really liked kill bill per- part one that part two is like eh but part one was pretty awesome. Kill Bill is actually one of the ones I haven't seen that I probably should rewatch because when I was in Iraq, we had what's called the share drive, which was basically a ton of like pirated media. Kill Bill was on it, but it didn't have subtitles. And so it took me until like halfway through the movie. Cause like there's the first part where they're speaking in Japanese and there's no subtitles. And I'm just like, well, I guess I'm just not, you know, supposed to understand this part. Like maybe that's the point. But then like the second time where she sits down and has like a full conversation with this dude in Japanese. And I'm like, 
okay, clearly there's something I'm missing here and there's supposed to be subtitles and there's not. So I, I turned it off because I wasn't understanding the movie anymore and I've just never made time to rewatch it. All right. Our next question comes from La Corbus, Corbusier, Corbusier, which I did look up who that was and that's a cool name, but I don't know how to pronounce it. What are your personal preferences on browser appearance? I could spend hours downloading Firefox themes and making custom CSS files to make it look perfect. Certain browsers like Brave make this easier for the public, but I still prefer Firefox. Does appearance play any part in software choice for either of you? Me personally, I'm not super picky. I definitely do appreciate well-made, good-looking software. I will also be the first to admit there's sometimes things that I'm like, this is pretty hideous and I don't know if I'm going to be able to use it. But I, I definitely have much more of a tolerance than most people do. The main thing for me is intuitiveness or whatever the word is for that. Like that's one of my complaints with Microsoft Outlook is I feel like it's not intuitive. I feel like things are not where I want them to be. They're not named what I want them to name. They're not what I expect them to be. For me, that's the big thing is like, are things in a place that makes sense are they somewhere I can find them or am I going to spend an hour hunting for a setting? That's a lot more important to me, but I'm not super picky. I do like things to look nice, but I, I have a pretty good tolerance. Outlook is terrible. Outlook is hot trash, man. I haven't heard anyone be like, I actually like, I've heard people compliment Outlook's like stability and they liked that aspect of it, but I haven't seen anyone be like, yeah, the interface and the, the design of it is really uh up to standard the privacy dad real quick has a whole blog where he talks about basically making things more user-friendly for normies and he cited one of his friends that tried out tutanota but ended up going back to outlook and one of his friend's reasons were like it makes more sense and it's more intuitive and the minute i read that sitting in front of my computer i'm like bullshit outlook is terrible your friend has been brainwashed (laughs) i definitely fall on like the extreme other side of the camp which is Everything I touch and use, I want to be nice. I want to feel happy and good using it. I don't have very much patience for things that look and don't feel good to use. And I expect that from my software. Given that context, there's a reason why I struggle to hop on the ship of many of these smaller open source projects that don't have like a UI design team. So I actually really struggle a lot of times to find the open source software I enjoy that is still pretty if that makes sense and so that's where you see things like yeah i'm not going to use net news wire because i don't want to use net news wire because it's gross (laughs) no offense it's super powerful i used it for super long it's fantastic i still suggest it but i moved over to reader r-e-e-d-e-r because reader actually makes me want to open it net news wire made me hate my life when i used it and that's how i don't understand how people i know thunderbird got better in the newest update and it's more modernized now but i could never touch thunderbird with a 50 foot pole before the the recent revamp because it's just so hideous and they specifically asked about browser appearance here too and i'm not here to customize my stuff either like i'm gonna do some customization to match my preferences but i'm not gonna be screwing around with css files (laughs) <laughs> to make something look good enough for my sta- my standards and tastes. I just, I don't have that kind of time. And I'm glad that you do, and I'm glad you want to do that. And I think people who want to take that time should absolutely do it. And I think it's a great way to, like, just make things your own. But I'm past it. I'm just, I'm done. There's too much software to customize. I just want things to look nice and make me happy. <laughs> I think I used to do that when I was young, is when I discovered how to change, like, on Windows, how to change the... um like when you click on an icon and the color changes, when I discovered how to change that color or like back in the early days, the icons were not transparent 
And so you could change the color of the background and like, that was a lot of fun, but yeah, I, I, I don't know that got kind of old after a couple weeks, I guess. For the record, people who don't know me, you can go back. I might've unlisted it. I don't know. It might still be there, but one of like the first Techler videos was how to change your icons in Ubuntu. And I used to be a big modder, like for all of my devices, I used to use custom icon packs, I used to use custom environments, I used to customize things to the max, and it was my perfect system. And like, I look back at some screenshots of like my Linux distro from like 10 years ago, and I go, that looks pretty sweet. But then I think about like the hours and days that I put into making that happen. And I'm like, never again. It's the kind of thing where it's fun. And I I'm, I'm, I want people to do that. And if you still want to do that, please do. But I'm past it. See, I just do like little things like on, like on new pipe or what am I on now? Tubular. For those who don't know, new pipe and sponsor block has been sunset. It's been replaced with tubular, which is weird, but I'll remove like certain tabs. Like I don't care what 500 million people on YouTube are watching because I probably think it's dumb as so I'll remove that tab. So it goes straight to my subscriptions or like same thing with antenna pod. I'll go through the settings and like, no, I want you to open to like my queue and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't spend a, other than like maybe changing to dark mode or something like that. I don't spend a lot of time with. I agree. I, I'm the same. So like I'll set it to the system theme because I do light and dark mode based on the sun. A lot of times my customization is actually removing things from the interface and simplifying things to what I need. And that's kind of it. I actually really like the Chrome the Chromium UI. So I really like Bray's interface. I like the Chrome interface. I'm not saying I recommend Chrome, but I don't mind that. I don't mind Safari. Firefox is probably my least favorite, like out of the box, like interface for a browser, but it's still fine. I'm not going to not use Firefox because of its interface. I like the update with Quantum. Definitely looks a lot cleaner. I agree. Next one is from Jeff. Are there any easy ways to pay for stuff online that are still relatively private? As I see it, the keys to the question are how easy and how private. I've been thinking about doing some research and creating a scatter plot using those as access and thought you might have insight. That's something I would do. I'm a spreadsheet kind of person. I make spreadsheets for everything in my life. So <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. I guess I'll just start it off by saying we've probably covered this in the past, but privacy.com and tools like privacy.com to alias things are probably, in my opinion, the best middle ground for this access that I've found at least which is you're essentially going to transfer your trust to one company, kind of like we were talking about earlier with giftcards.com. Privacy.com is kind of your giftcards.com, and they're going to hold your information. It's actually a little bit better, though, because privacy.com is going to generate a unique card number for every vendor. So actually, those vendors can't directly correlate anything because you're not using the same payment information. So it's pretty easy. It directly integrates with your bank account. It is not anonymous. It gives you privacy from third parties, but it is not an anonymous service, which is where I guess the giftcards.com could give you an advantage. You don't have to verify and give them your real information to buy a card in theory. Aside from that, you have the options of using prepaid debit cards. And then on the more extreme side of things, you're going to have to look at cryptocurrencies, but those are going to be limited by what sites can support them. Oh, also like things like Apple Pay aren't terrible either. At least Apple Pay will give you at least one extra layer of protection as well. We've talked about in the past how with Apple Pay, they're going to not use your real card information, but it's still going to use the same Apple Pay information across vendors. I think you said Google is also rolling that out in Google Pay. Either has rolled it out or rolling it out soon. Right, right. Jonah has a video about this. Jonah does have a video. (laughs) Which I think we cited last time we talked about that too. Yeah, no, I don't really have any insight. You kind of hit the nail on the head. Like ideally it would be yeah, something like Monero or shielded transactions on Zcash, which are both pretty rare to find online. It's not rare in the sense of if you're willing to do a lot of online shopping and have stuff shipped to you, but it's rare in the sense that like 
you're going to have to go find one of those websites that lists out all those websites. You're not just going to like, oh, look, Target accepts Monero. Like, you know, it's kind of rare. But yeah, other than that, I'm a big fan of privacy.com. The only issue with a lot of these services is most of them are like US only. So they're not very available in a lot of parts of the world. Gift cards are still an option. I'm assuming gift cards are relatively international. I forgot one option too. On the topic of cryptos and gift cards, you have things like uh, CakePay too, which we covered on CoinCard. Oh yeah. CakePay, CoinCard, stuff like that, which are, for those who don't know, those are services where you can buy a gift card with crypto. So Domino's doesn't accept cryptocurrency, but you can use like Cake Wallet to buy a Domino's gift card with Monero, for example. So yeah, I, I think you're pretty right. It's kind of a how easy slash how private matrix and, and on a scatter plot, it's just kind of like the easier it is, the less private it is, the harder it is, the the more private. So Jeff actually asked two questions. And the second question was, what do you think about employers creating programs and benefits that promote and or pay for the removal of digital footprints of their workforce? Is it awesome? Is it paternalistic? Is it needed to reduce data breaches? I mean, we're at a point right now where I think we're still just kind of struggling to get people to see the value of removing their data. I still run into a shocking amount of people who are like, yeah, I know you can Google my phone number and pull up my home address. I don't care. I have nothing to hide. Which is just an insane take. Like, I'm sure these same people would be really mad if I, like, wrote their address on a a sign and stood in the street with it. But whatever. I don't see why employers would use a program like that, given that, again, it's just not something people care about. Uh, I mean, even in most places, standard benefits are, you know, obviously pay. Things like vacation time, health insurance, maybe, like, snacks in the break room. Like there's just not going to be a lot of that stuff. I think most people are interested in for more like privacy focused companies. Like, yeah, if the new oil was like a huge, huge media empire, like, you know, Mr. Beast or something like that. Sure. I'd totally be willing to offer, you know, delete me subscriptions or, you know, whatever stuff like that. But we're not, I don't know. I, I, I'm not against it. I mean, private companies can within reason kind of do whatever they want. So I don't really have a, a strong opinion of this. I think it'd be cool if they did, but I just don't think they will anytime soon. No thoughts. No thoughts. No thoughts. The next question is from David, which is, what is your opinion about privacy and security of mobile apps required to join some institutional Wi-Fi networks? I actually don't have much experience with these, and I don't think Nate does either. Come to no, mind. I didn't even know this was a thing, honestly. Yeah, so I think we're both a little unfamiliar on what these apps are. What I have seen in the past is, like, on a school network in a college, to join the Wi-Fi network, you have to add a profile on your phone. And those actually are kind of frustrating, because to my knowledge, it actually, in a way, almost like man in the middles your web traffic in order to supply that, which I guess has the benefit of they're able to ensure a secure network on their ends, but in the process, they're you're getting, they're getting a lot of access to your phones. In fact, this is such an issue that if you have lockdown mode enabled on iOS, Apple actually prevents you from installing profiles. So yeah, it's kind of a sucky situation. And so it's really weird too, because there are ways to have secure Wi-Fi networks without needing to do that. So I, I think this might be one of those like corporate decisions where it comes at the cost of the end user experience. But I actually don't have too much to add here from a technical perspective, I guess. And I don't know if Nate does, but... I would try to avoid it if possible. Yeah, I didn't even know these were a thing. A lot of the places I've been to just have like the standard, like there's a guest network. A lot of them do actually lock it with a Wi-Fi password, but they'll give it to you if you ask, or there'll be like a sign on the receptionist desk. It's like the password is this. And they have like a guest Wi-Fi and then like an actual like business Wi-Fi. 
I've been to some places that have like multiple Wi-Fi's where there's like there's guest Wi-Fi and then there's like the normal day-to-day business Wi-Fi and then there's like the hardcore priority stuff for whatever reasons. Right. On that note too, that reminded me because when you have to have an app or a profile, that means that you can only install that on a supported device. And so the way you could turn this around is be like, hey, I have a smart TV. You don't have to have one, but you just say I have a smart TV or I have a Linux device. You just have to have a niche device that isn't supported by one of these apps. And then you ask, how do I still access Wi-Fi? And like Nate said, I think our university had like a dedicated Wi-Fi for like printers and like IoT devices that didn't have the same requirements. So just something to also play around with kind of with what Nate was saying as well. A little bit of social engineering. Those were all the questions this week. So thank you to all of our patrons who submitted a question. If you would like to ask us a question, you can join us on Patreon at $5 a month or more. And maybe we will answer one of your questions on an upcoming Q&A. And we will see you in Surveillance Report 167, which should be out later this week. So thank you guys for watching.